The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I promise you that with your support, I will endeavour to create a committee that will not rest until they've found the best man for the job. Oh, before you throw your support behind my colleague, I'd like you to consider the alternative. Assisted suicide? No, me. Potato, potato. Uh, as, a, as a small business owner, I would be careful supporting my esteemed colleague here, a liar and a cheat. Not unfamiliar with the local tavern where his workers' rights program is popular amongst the slaves. Uh, uh, I'm surprised my libertarian colleague here has had time to review my policies given the upkeep on his many, many houses. <laughs> my colleague is well aware that they are not houses, but bungalows owned by my dear mother. Rest her weary soul. Give it here! Give it here! Give me! All right. All right. On behalf of my prospective constituency, I am willing to work with the opposition. Well, I can work with that. For now. A temporary partnership. For permanent success. Or, or, or a finite partnership for infinite success. <laughs> Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, May 26, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Success, I suppose, depends upon how you define it and how you might measure it. And that's just one of the questions that Robert directs to our guest today, Derek Prue, a volunteer with the state of New Hampshire's Free State Project, a project not so unlike others that I've been witnessing in other areas of the continent. I'll present my own brief observations and warnings about what we're about to hear on today's show as the show wraps up. And what you are about to hear are selected portions of Robert's interview with Derek as heard on our video productions about a week ago, from which we've edited out much of the historical, networking, organizational, and and tactical details about the project. Instead, today's focus is on the principles and objectives around which the Free State Movement is based. And of course, you can hear the entire unedited discussion between Robert and Derek by watching Just Right's presentation of that interview, now available on numerous platforms, including YouTube, Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey, and Substack. It all begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. With me today is Derek Prue of the Free State Project in New Hampshire. Welcome, Derek. Glad to have you here. Thank you very much for having me, Robert. Derek, you must be familiar with uh, Andrew Breitbart's comment that politics is downstream from culture. And from my understanding of the Free State Project, what you're trying to do in New Hampshire, and I'd like for you to expand on this as much as you like, is trying to influence the culture of that particularly small state, only about 1.5 million people, 
in such a way as to gear the politics of New Hampshire towards liberty or freedom. Please, for our listeners, explain to us the Free State Project, if you would. Sure. So the Free State Project is the brainchild of a professor here in New Hampshire. His name is Jason Sorens. He created an essay. And in that essay, to summarize, he did all the math. Uh, he's a mathematics professor, did all the math. And he found that if you had a state of around 1.5 million people living in that state, if you could get 20,000 people, 20,000 activists, uh, motivated people who want to create political change, you would dramatically change the politics of that state forever. And so thus began the Free State Project. And so it began in small liberty forums online, people getting together, they heard about this project, and they started signing a pledge that wherever we, they decided that this free state would be, that they would eventually move there. And so there was a vote between these early signers of this uh, free state project. And this was in uh, 2001 was when this started. So tw over 20 years ago, this is uh, a long road that we've, we've made. So they had a vote of these early signers and the top three states that they chose were Alaska, Wyoming, and the state of New Hampshire. And so part of the criteria of selection of states was uh, access to government, easy access to government, um, low population, uh, already existing culture of freedom and independence. So you look at places like Alaska, very rugged, very individualistic, um, many people out there on their own. But eventually, these early signers, they decided to go with New Hampshire. Now, New Hampshire is the granite state and the state motto is live free or die and that goes back to the american revolution live free or die for death is not the worst of evils that idea of living free or dying because death is not the worst of evil living in slavery is that has stuck around in the new hampshire culture for many many years now people here very individualistic very liberty oriented every single year People in New Hampshire, they go to their, what we call a town meeting, and everyone in the town who is eligible to vote, they go and they decide on issues ranging from budget to town officers to zoning regulations, everything like that. The individual in the town can get together and get with his or her neighbor's community and actually create change in their direct living environment. New Hampshire also has 400 representatives in our state house. That is, I believe, the third largest English-speaking representation in the world. Wow. And each representative in New Hampshire represents about 1,300 to 4,300 constituents. So all you got to do is go door knock on between 1,300 to 4,300 people and convince half of them to vote for you. Uh, so very easy access to government. New Hampshire's population is 1.3 million. Don't really need a lot of money to run for state office. A state representative, their pay is $200 a term, two-year terms. So there's no real big money getting into politics here in New Hampshire. 
don't really need to spend a lot to run a campaign. I've seen plenty of people do it for the registration fee, which I believe is $5, and that's it. That's the only amount of money that they spent on the, their campaign. Amazing. Another great advantage with New Hampshire is that we have a coastline, and then we also are very close to population centers, uh, such as Boston, New York, Portland, Maine, and also Maine, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York. Our surrounding states are not liberty-oriented. So by putting ourselves in New Hampshire, we've made ourselves more attractive to the liberty-minded people in those states because they don't have to move that far. They can still go to families for holidays and things like that or still see friends. And it's not as big a commitment to move to New Hampshire from these large authoritarian population centers. Uh, so that was a strategic decision and why the vote for New Hampshire was made. So New Hampshire was chosen. You had these early signers and the decision was made that once we had 20,000 movers that signed a pledge that said that they would move to New Hampshire to be activists and, and to create liberty political change in the state, then that, that's would be what we consider the trigger for the move where the Free State Project would be activated. And so a lot of these early signers, they started moving to New Hampshire on their own uh, before the, the project really started, which, which 2016 was when we reached that 20,000 signer mark. And so these early movers, they came to New Hampshire and they started laying the groundwork, the foundations um, and the footprint. So that way, when all these new movers started really ramping up and coming here, uh, they wouldn't have to start from scratch. Starting from scratch seems to be one of the options being entertained with respect to a Canadian project now underway. Don't know if you heard the big news out of Alberta, but its premier, Jason Kenney, has announced that he'll be stepping down, and this has spurred a conversation in Alberta not so unlike the one happening in New Hampshire. Here's a sample of that conversation, as heard on Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson's May 20th show. Dr. Hodkinson, uh, you are from Alberta, and you have been one of the most vocal, outspoken doctors putting everything on the line to warn humanity about what is going on. And so what do you feel about these recent events in Alberta? Jason Kenney is gone. Do you think that's good for your, for your province? <laughs> yes. <laughs> one word is appropriate. Delicious. Right. Delicious. <laughs> what was with that, him? I mean... That man has killed people, period. Mm. Whether from the mandates, the lockdowns, the suicides, or from the insistence of following the diktats of an unelected technocrat, forcing terrible decisions at the breakfast table. Do I put bread on the table or do I put my life on the line? Many people decided to put their life on the line and then died. That is called murder. And thank God he's gone. But Dr. Hodkinson, our Prime Minister and our Premiers, for the most part, they are undeterred. Jagmeet Singh is, is telling everybody that they need to keep, you know, doing the right thing and get these shots. And you know what this is all about. You were in Ottawa. You were one of the, the main doctors speaking getting information out there and by far, you know, a crowd favorite. 
and people love to hear from you because you just say it like it is and you tell the truth. But what are we to do now? The best way to react is using the democratic process in which we have peaceful demonstrations and lobbying by an educated population who can force change, just like we saw here in Alberta, getting rid of a despot, who knows who's going to replace him. But as I said, it's delicious getting rid of him. What we have to do is educate people about the scale of what's happened over the last two years, the enormous, unprecedented scale to get through to people who are not stupid, they're just being kept ignorant. And my, my opinion is that when that sinks in, the scale of revulsion is unimaginable, but it will take time. And sadly, I think it will, things will get worse before they get better. Remember though, Napoleon's famous adage, never stop your enemy from screwing up. They're a much easier target. So <laughs> I, I like that. I predict, I predict that this is creating fertile ground for a new political era based upon traditional values that made this country, tradition, religion, family, church, and so on. That I believe is an enormous opportunity now. We must understand that the great resetters took an unexpected opportunity and milked it to the hilt because they were prepared to do so. By the same token, now the gig is up. We have their number. We know what they're about, and there are more of us than them. And what I predict is that rather than the great resetters getting their way, if you will own nothing and be happy, except for those that have private jets, of course. No, I think it will be replaced by what I'm christening as the great reject. When the people rise up and show that enough has happened, we won't take it anymore, and you're done. We're in control. There are more of us than you. We'll have to wait for elections, unfortunately. But in the meantime, there's a, a very vibrant process underway in Alberta called the Alberta Prosperity Project which is basically aiming at an independent republic of Alberta. Very doable, with enormous support. It's growing by the day. There are 120 chapters now across the province with 40 more waiting. Very active volunteer operation, not a political party, but intending to transform into a political party before the next election. Okay, and what would that look like? So what would they be separating from Canada or do they want their autonomy as a province? What, what does it look like? The game plan is very simple. Collapse the right before the next election. We certainly don't want the NDP to come up the middle again. The new government would craft a referendum question, not subject to Ottawa's approval as per Quebec. With that referendum in place and won, there would then be a presentation to Ottawa saying, look, we want this, that and the other, particularly on transfer payments, Canada Health Act and so on. We won't get it. And so there will be a, an unilateral declaration of independence subject to terms of separation. 
That's achievable within a three-year time frame, making Alberta the most prosperous place on earth, quality of life being superior to anywhere else. And it is within our grasp and very, very doable. Wow. I think it's also getting more and more attractive to people who, of course, had high hopes that Canada could stay together and we keep it. But quite frankly, how can we really function underneath this pathetic federal government bolstered up by the corrupt NDP, Jagmeet Singh and the tyrannical Justin Trudeau? Basically, they they own us. They they can do anything that they want. And, and we're in a lot of trouble. So if people want to begin thinking about how to take back their power, maybe this is the way to do it. A lot of people who once would never have thought of this are going, sign me up. I recommend people um, visit the website of the Alberta Prosperity Project, attend rallies that are, that are uh, advertised, and listen to the rationale um, espoused by the president of the society Dr. Dennis Modray, an esteemed cardiovascular surgeon, who outlines in great detail how fatuous it is for, for Alberta to think that they have any possibility of negotiating a satisfactory outcome with Ottawa within Confederation. It simply will not happen. We have to take control of our own resources and set our own course. And how do you measure success? There's a couple different ways that we can do that. The Cato Institute, which is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C., they released what's called Freedom in the 50 State Index. And New Hampshire has typically been number one. We lost uh, number one spot to Florida. We were number two for a year. But now we're back to number one. And actually, the, the Freedom in the 50 State Index, they had a footnote where they said that due to legislative success in the liberty movement in New Hampshire, over last year this index was from 2019 so from 2020 2021 all the wins that we had in those years they said that it would be near impossible for any state to catch up with us so it's amazing yes. how did the cato institute define liberty or freedom i mean it's a lot of different categories uh, economic freedom personal freedom mobility freedom insurance freedom stuff like that like yeah. I think there's almost 30 different categories that they're measuring. And how would you define it as a member of the Free State Project? Because it's a rather nebulous term in, in a lot of respects. I've got my definition, which is more or less based on Ayn Rand's definition of economic and personal freedom. Libertarians will give you perhaps a, a, an anarchist, or at least here in Canada, some, a lot of them are anarchists and, and, and a destruction of the, of the state, which is not my idea of freedom. And you know, liberals may give you a definition of freedom. Conservatives will give you a definition of freedom. So what is your definition of freedom? My definition of freedom and, and liberty is to be able to do what you feel is best for yourself, your family, and your community without being infringed upon by uh, some higher authority that is able to use force against you, right? Um, if, you, if you are trying to do things for yourself, family, community, and you're being influenced, but it's not force, um, I don't really see that as a front against liberty. I mean, there's no reason why you can't convince your friend 
or a parent or a neighbor that they're doing something wrong as long as you're not holding a gun to their head, which unfortunately what we've seen increasingly in the United States and I'm sure in Canada that we've seen is that there has been a lot of violence being used by the system to coerce people into doing things that they would not like to do. So liberty, in my mind, and with a lot of libertarians here in New Hampshire, and libertarianism, very broad term, that can be classical liberals, constitutionalists, minarchists, anarchists, kind of anyone who really wants a smaller government than what we currently have now. I'm pretty sure we can all agree across that spectrum that if we have something smaller than what we have now, we'll be in a much better place. We can argue about who pays for the roads later. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That that old argument, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's really just trying to get rid of or minimize the amount of force used in our current system. And that includes economics as well. It's not just enforcing lockdowns or drug policy. We're talking about economics as well. The Enlightenment era was definitely focused on the separation of the church and the state. And that was the huge driving factor of the Enlightenment era, which brought about classical liberalism and the ideas of no taxation without representation that happened in the United States during a revolutionary period. And so we really want to focus now on Uh, economic issues, um, still personal freedom issues for sure, but we want to separate the the state and the economy because the state has been using the economy and our money against us for so long now, uh, over a hundred years, and it's kind of created this environment that we're in now where you have uh, lobbyists, uh, crony capitalists, politicians running the show, deciding everything for us, even though we might say that we live in some sort of representative democracy or republics. Um, it just really is not the case. I could probably go to my supermarket right now and I might run into my state representative for my town. Like that's That happens all the time. Uh, if I go driving down to some of the major cities, I'll probably pass a few license plates that have the uh, state representative on them and I'll wave in the way back. It, it's very easy to get a hold of state representatives and so we have 45 state representatives that are free staters that have been elected to our house of representatives the first one was actually elected as a democrat believe it or not and um, we have about 90 to 100 state representatives that self-identify as libertarians Uh, so that's a quarter of our state house self-identifies libertarians and we have 147 that vote as a libertarian. They receive an A minus or higher on the Liberty Report. So we already have a very libertarian uh, state legislature here in New Hampshire. And so if we're trying to build off that momentum, we do have to come together and we do need to compromise on some issues. Not everyone's happy about you know some of, some of these rating reports or the gold standard that comes out. But at the end of the day, we all come together, these state representatives, they come together and they move as a block. And, you know, sometimes we have uh, rhinos, Republican in name only, or uh, just GOP uh, representatives who aren't part of our liberty movement, kind of more neoconservative types. And so 
they don't vote with us and they might vote with uh, some of the Democrats. Some Democrats might vote for us. And, you know, so our liberty block might not get the legislation that we want all the time. Or we might have some disagreements with that. And it's not always a resounding success, but part of our liberty movement, kind of more neoconservative types. And so they don't vote with us and they might vote with uh, some of the Democrats. Some Democrats might vote for us. And, you know, so our liberty block might not get the legislation that we want all the time, or we might have some disagreements with that. And it's not always a resounding success, but we have had great success using the NHLA gold standard and Liberty rating report. And so now we have state representatives who are competing for most libertarian or the, the highest rated Liberty representative in the state. You know, we actually have representatives that are competing for that top spot. And that's a, awesome thing to have competition is who can be the most libertarian uh, we actually we actually get that a lot in the free state of new hampshire we have different organizations that might splinter right there might be some disagreement and usually that argument is oh i can be more liberty than you can i can do more for this movement for liberty than you can and those are the disagreements that we want really i mean competition is the greatest driver for success in a free market and you know this is a free market of ideas as well and that kind of competitive competitive drive is what we really want and it sucks that we have people uh separating and maybe disagreeing and friendships might be broken sometimes usually they mend and come back together over a drink or two and that's totally fine um but you know when they split that's usually a disagreement oh i can be better for this liberty movement than you can and um, that's the kind of drive that we want. And that's what we're building. Those are the people that we're going for. These people, these fighters who want liberty. And if they're not seeing it happen their way, then they'll have that entrepreneurial spirit to go do it on their own. This liberty movement and liberty across not just New Hampshire, but across the United States is definitely really focusing in on maximizing our ability to make personal choices, personal familial and community choices for ourselves without the use of force being used against us. Um, especially, you know, you should be doing these things without um, causing harm to someone else or their property. That's how liberty works is you don't want those things done to you. You don't want force, so you can't force other people to do those things. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And when we return, on the other side of the bumper, Robert will be raising an issue that we used to talk about pretty frequently on the show, but haven't done so for quite a long time. Gun control. Or should I say, gun freedom. The left still can't accept the fact, and it is a fact, that the highest crime rates occur in those jurisdictions with gun prohibitions. But of course, we all know facts don't matter to the left. But first, here's Laura Lynn Tyler-Thompson wrapping up her May 20th conversation with Dr. Hodkinson and Roy Bayer. Roy, Dr. Hodkinson was talking about this new organization and basically people can take back Alberta and bring it into a new and prosperous season and perhaps have to make the decision to separate themselves from Canada, so to speak. Yeah, I know a lot of the people in the freedom movement will have different opinion about this, but I have to say myself personally, I've attended the 
Alberta Prosperity Project meetings, um, I was deeply moved and inspired. And really the analogy for Western Canada, not just Alberta, I think for Saskatchewan, BC, as well as Manitoba, is a, an abusive relationship. Right. I mean, I can go on and on with it, but the, the power that, it, that resides within Ottawa is so centralized and concentrated in Montreal and Toronto. And we're really treated like, uh, like children in a relationship rather than as adults we're, or an abusive relationship where again and again and again, we're asked to take an abuse. Uh, Alberta has had a tremendous amount of economic opportunity taken from it again and again and again. And so I believe the best solution for Canada is the decentralization of power for all of the provinces to exercise some level of autonomy. And and for Alberta, of course, there's a huge logic to go independence because we'd be the wealthiest country, or I think the second wealthiest country in the world, something like that, overnight. That's a fact, right? And so uh, in a broad sense, I believe that decentralization from Ottawa is a good thing. The sooner it happens, the better. And, uh, and I think part of the disappointment with Jason Kenney is that he represented a hope for some kind of a, a solution. He, he promised to at least stand up for Alberta in some way against Trudeau, and he didn't. He literally just allowed his lip service only. And so, of course, the, the people who are advocating for independence now, they have a big reason. They have a real reason. It's both the federal government and the Jason Kenney government that imposed draconian measures to take away our rights and freedoms, to trample on that. And, and then, of course, the additional reason is because of the economic consequence for Alberta. So we have, we have some real problems, but we have a yearning in this province for freedom, for autonomy. My personal autonomy for my body, personal autonomy for my family, leave us alone. Uh, and also for the province that we, we don't want to be oppressed any further or any longer. And there's no question that Jason Kenney fed that sentiment by his failure in leadership. And it was hugely disappointing. He knew better and he still did the wrong thing again and again over a period of over two years. We have a very liberal country and the heart of conservatism is in Alberta. I pray you keep it. A lot of people moving to Alberta, I've heard, and uh, oil and gas, we love oil and gas. We love how you take care of, uh, of us. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you for standing up for your province. I pray that other provinces will take courage from what's happened, that you'll now be able to start again. And I also hope that you will have a very good leader who has courage and integrity and character will be put as the leader and the new premier of Alberta. Fat chance. Thank you very much, Lauren. Fat <laughs> chance. That's why we love you, Dr. Hodkinson. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Texas is a very different type of place. Like, for example, I remember when I was uh, queuing in a shop to get cigarettes and there was about six guys in front of me, you know, all just random guys who didn't know each other. And each of them just 
had their holster on their hip with their pistol in it. And whenever I tell that to people back in Scotland, everyone goes like that, oh my god, that is so terrifying, were you scared? You must have been so scared. No. Fuck no. And do you want to know why? See if anyone were to, you know, rob the store or attack me or try and mug me, I am literally in the best place for something like that to happen. Surrounded by a bunch of armed Texans. So see if anything like that were to happen, I'm going to be just fine. It was the safest I had ever felt in my entire life. But one thing I will say about Texas, being completely serious, is that Texas has the friendliest people that I have ever met in my entire life. I'm being completely serious, like, there was people that I met, like guys and that, that I was just making small talk with and they were all like, inviting me out for beers and that was, it seems like, like that's just the done thing there. I even had one of my Uber drivers invite me out for beers and that's something that just doesn't happen in Scotland. I mean, in Scotland, if you've just met a guy and you're making small talk and then you say, oh, do you, do you want to come out and grab a beer? His response to you will be, uh, no thanks, I'm straight. But yeah. It was, it was really great getting to experience the First and Second Amendment for a month. And I miss it so much. You lucky motherfuckers. I understand that the gun control laws in your state are almost non-existent, which is something that I would certainly advocate uh, because it's a corollary to your right to your life is a right to defend it. Black Lives Matter tried to stir up some discontent and it was quickly um, over because in New Hampshire people don't take kindly to vandalism and violence that has been following BLM and Antifa around the United States. Uh, do you want to explain that a little more? Sure. I mean, there hasn't been any real case of civil unrest in New Hampshire during the Black Lives Matter uh, events of the summer of 2020. Uh, there was a protest. It ended up in the beginning being peaceful, right? It was a kind of, they had a vigil outside for remembrance of some victims of uh, police violence. And then that group kind of moved through uh, the city of Manchester, which is New Hampshire's largest city. And so they kind of moved through the city and they there was some trouble started but it was quickly extinguished those people kind of dispersed it was water balls thrown fireworks kind of stuff like that there were no injuries or anything like that uh nothing serious happened and a lot of that has to do with as this movement was marching down the streets of manchester a lot of these business owners storefront owners apartment landlords people who owned houses in Manchester, a lot of them stood outside with their firearms and, um, you know, peacefully protected their property. And um, that's kind of how things go in New Hampshire. I mean, we don't even have rules against carrying firearms in uh, our state buildings. The only exception to that rule is in courthouses and in the actual legislative chambers itself. You can even carry on school property here in New Hampshire because a lot of town voting happens at schools. You know, they're, they're large places that can accommodate lots of people to go and cast their vote. And so in New Hampshire, we just don't have any rules against carrying a firearm onto school property. 
there's plenty of cases where people are carrying firearms uh, while they're voting, uh, while they're picking up their kids. There was even a case where uh, someone went to a town hall that uh, former President Barack Obama was having in New Hampshire, and he was open carrying a firearm. And uh, that actually made national headlines, but he was well within his right to do so. There was nothing that stopped him from doing such a thing here in New Hampshire. Sounds refreshing. Uh, with, yeah. <laughs> and um, in New Hampshire, we have what's called constitutional carry. You don't need any kind of permit to conceal carry in New Hampshire. Open carry is completely legal in New Hampshire of long guns or sidearms, um, pistols, whatnot. New Hampshire kind of follows uh, federal guidelines in terms of purchasing a firearm, which means that you don't have to be any age to purchase a long gun, but you have to be at least 21 years old to purchase a pistol. But in New Hampshire, we don't have any regulations against what age you can carry them. So if a parent wanted to buy their child a handgun and gift it to them, give it to their 15, 16-year-old child and they could op open carry, conceal carry a handgun. Uh, no issues there in terms of legality. Again, moving on to kind of federal policy, we actually just had a bill that passed our state house and our state senate. It's on our way to our governor's desk, and that bill would nullify all federal firearms regulations, every single one. That's interesting. How could that happen? I mean, a federal is supersedes, I would think, uh, state laws, wouldn't it? Well. There's a case to be made, right? The 10th Amendment of the Constitution is that any powers that are not specifically laid out in the Constitution is given to the states or to the people. Yes. And so the Second Amendment clearly states shall not be infringed. And any kind of oversight to that can be nullified by state governments. This has happened plenty of times across the United States in terms of marijuana legalization, immigrant sanctuary cities that have been going on in like states like California or Oregon or Massachusetts. So there is a large precedent to be made for nullifying federal policy, right? Because that it's really a policy that they've made. It's not even really law or even constitutional law. And so they come here and we're all out here on our own trying to build this liberty movement from the ground up. And it's challenging. I mean, we're fighting against the largest government in all of human history in the United States. And it's definitely a challenge. We have a long road ahead of us. But we come together and we found ourselves in this position together. And we strive to kind of network and know each other and become friends and, and create long lasting partnerships and this community bond that we have is incredible. I've noticed that you have a Republican governor, uh, Sununu. Is he um, liberty-minded at all? No, no. He's, he's, I consider him to be the best politician in the United States right now. He's incredible. He's an awesome fence rider. He can play the Democrats, the Republicans, do whatever that will get him reelected. Um, definitely not liberty oriented. He flip flops. He's a fence rider. He'll say whatever gets him votes. But he he does work with us because he does know that in order to be reelected, he does need to work with our movement. So he has, you know, especially during the lockdowns of uh, 2020, he did make exceptions for the liberty movement when it came, when it came to like mandates for masking. Even though there was a mandate in New Hampshire by the governor. 
he made ex- exceptions playfully worded that there were no mandates. If, if you kind of read what was the mandate and the executive order that he gave, you could get away with it without having to wear a mask. And that's what most free staters did. And he did that because he knew that he would have a lot of angry people politically active that would make the next couple years of his term not so pleasant and uh, might cost him a re-election. Definitely, uh, there's plenty of bills that have come to his desk that he does not want to sign, but he knows that he's got to work with us in some capacity. Some bills he can get away with uh, fighting us on, but for the, for the most part, he does work with us, but no, he's not liberty-oriented. That brings up my next question, and that is um, state versus federal politics. I noticed that uh, New Hampshire more or less often promote Democrats to the um, House of Representatives and to the, uh, the U.S. Senate. Do you work on a report card for these candidates running for a representative, um, the, the lower house and the Senate, or do you stick mainly to state politics? Most of the New Hampshire Liberty Movement is focused on local and state politics. We don't really put any attention into federal races because we think that federal government is a lost cause. Mm. D.C. is irredeemably corrupt. It's not really worth it. We just don't see any value in. We can put a lot more time and attention and get more success by focusing on the local and the state level. We do have Democrats that get elected at the federal level, and honestly, we're okay with that. They're going away. They're going to D.C., all these these politicians. They're leaving us, so I guess have fun down there. (laughs) It's just that um, in the Senate especially, maybe not so much the House, but in the Senate, there's such a... 50-50 split between Democrat and Republicans, I mean, in name only, you would think that some level of, I don't know, involvement in the Senate race, especially, because if you had one or two senators who were not rhinos, but freedom-oriented Republicans, say, or even freedom-oriented Democrats, if such a thing existed, that that could sway American politics immensely, that one or two votes in the Senate, wouldn't you think? I don't really think so. I mean, if you look at our our, our great leader that we had uh, in the early 2000s, the great Ron Paul, who was an amazing leader for the liberty movement, created the the Ron Paul revolution that brought the ideas of liberty to more Americans than any other politician that has existed in the United States. And he was just one man. And what did he get done? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. It was nice hearing his voice in in those uh, house chambers, but nothing got done. And you know, he he said this on his Ron Paul Liberty Report that there was nothing that he could do. He was just one man. And even if we got one person from New Hampshire, there's just an insane amount of other non-liberty actors in federal district of Columbia that would work against them and whatever gains that they would make would be so insignificant and the amount of money that would go into it, just not worth it to us uh, in the liberty movement here in New Hampshire. We'd rather focus on New Hampshire. We've had far more success doing it this way. The whole country, I don't know, for the last 250 years has tried to make a more liberty government here in the United States and has been unsuccessful thus far. And so by concentrating liberty-oriented people in one region, 
we're able to increase our strength and our power to influence government. In the United States, the, the politics here are so divided and the amount of influence that we have as libertarians, liberty-minded people is so small. I mean, look at the lockdowns of 2020. I mean, over 60% of the population were in favor of them. In some places, close to 80% of people were in for them. And so we just know now, we know that, I mean, we've been saying it for years now. I mean, that's why the Free State Project was founded is because we knew that there just aren't enough liberty-oriented people in the United States to create a, a liberty movement for the entire United States. And that's why we've gone to liberty concentration here in New Hampshire. But the, the 2020 lockdowns really confirmed that theory, that there just aren't enough of us to create some sort of change on the national level. And so we are going to concentrate. We're going to put all of our our resources and our time and our effort into one state that does show potential to become the first truly free state. Here again is a continuing discussion on the prospects of the Alberta Project, a plan for separation or succession from Canada, this time as heard on Kevin J. Johnson's very last show ever of May 20th. The participants include Mike Martins, Mike Lorena, and Mark Friesen, with whom Kevin kicks off the conversation. So, uh, Mark, you, um, you've been instrumental in the People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier's amazing project. Uh, let's hear more. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, to be honest with you, I haven't really been focusing a lot federally. Um, I've been really focused a lot provincially lately because I think in in our current time, it looks like we're going to be stuck with Trudeau and the NDP for at least a couple of years, maybe three. Uh, so I, I've really turned the dial on on provincial and and I'm hoping that provinces like Saskatchewan and Alberta can kind of, um, you know, start pressuring the federal government and, and just starting to actually to say no to the federal government. We need to get somebody else in, in government in Saskatchewan outside the establishment. We need somebody that's got, you know, enough parts to actually say no to Ottawa and, and start making decisions that's in the best interest of the people of Saskatchewan and Alberta and, you know, possibly Manitoba and others. That's not to say I'm pushing the idea of separation. It just means that right now I'm, I'm looking sort of, um, you know, within the province to see what kind of changes we can make here. Um, and obviously I'm still part of the PPC. I will continue to be, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a candidate whenever the next election is going to be. So, uh, so it is what it is, but I'm staying very busy. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, Mr. Martin's there. Let's pop you up for a quick second. I mean, uh, Mike, you and I had talked at length about digital currency, uh, economies, world economies, property values, uh, separation, Alberta having to leave Canada if it wants to survive. I mean, give me a quick take on that. Does Alberta need to go and should it go? Uh, well, it's, it should be under a secession act that they could uh, legally you know, provincially should be able to leave uh, the idea of Canada because Canada is an idea, right? So legally, if they're getting, you know, if the taxes aren't going where they need to go, people are, you know, always left by the wayside and the middle class is getting abolished. You know, you need to bring the, the culture of the people back, right? And the only way to do that is to secede from a big, bad idea into independence. 
Okay, and Mr. Arana. There he is. Listen, brother, you uh, you currently are in the United States, Michael, and uh, you and I met uh, five years ago, mainly because we have pretty similar views, except for three or four subjects. Couldn't care less. And uh, you and I can pack away a ton of chicken wings together, which we've done. But uh, I, I look, I want to get your take here on politics in the United States. Are they equally as crazy as they are here? And is the USA going down the toilet equally as much as Canada is? Go ahead. Um, I would say that it, it is a, it's still crazy. However, the thing with the United States is that it's certainly a lot more um, conservative than than Canada is. Um, however, the problem with the U, the U.S. is that nothing can really get done because of the way the system is. But to talk about um, Western separation, because I've heard that many times, I think that if if things continue going the way they are. I think it won't even be a choice. We can talk about it as a luxury now, but I'm predicting that this whole Western separation thing in Canada is a lot sooner than we think. And, and you know, the other thing is um, Texas um, and Florida, there's all kinds of talks of secession from the United States of America. I mean, is, is there any it's, real merit to that? It's not as strong. Definitely not as strong. That'll never happen. I'm more concerned about Western separation. I mean, if they do it, I probably would support them because the West has been taken for granted. The, the federal government is extremely arrogant. Granted, the people who are also running the provinces, in my opinion, are incompetent. I'm glad that Jason Kenney is going to be stepping down as leader of the UCP, which will mean that his days as premier are numbered. But... Um, it's the West, and I think it's going to be a lot. I would say let's wait and see what happens in 2023 with the whole Alberta election, and then the Saskatchewan elections are coming up, and see what happens, especially with these minor Western independence parties. But I'm predicting that in the next year or two, Canada is going to have a very, very serious conversation about the West's future within Canada. Well, I certainly hope so. In fact, I'd like it not to be a conversation. Nothing would thrill me more than seeing Alberta and Saskatchewan completely separate from Ottawa. That would be a phenomenal thing. Uh, Mark, uh, your thoughts. If Alberta and Saskatchewan were to split from the Dominion of Canada, do you see the two of them combining as a super state and actually surviving as a country? Yeah, so I'm a little concerned with, with that. <clears throat> I, I agree with with Michael, actually. I think things are on a path right now where um, even for people like myself, and I'm not a separatist, I used to be, uh, then I wasn't, then I was, and now I'm not. Um, a lot of different reasons. Age has some of it, some, some of that, some of it to do with it, but. You don't look um, a day over 75. What are you talking about? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I, my concern is though with, with separation is that we then become a much smaller entity you know, right now as it stands, we'd be like six or seven million people between Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, and that's pretty small nation state um, to be protecting a whole lot of resources that the world wants and needs. I mean, all we have to do is look at Ukraine uh, to see how that country has been completely manipulated, completely used and abused uh, over and over. And and this is my fear that would happen with, with a smaller entity like Alberta and Saskatchewan. I think if it ever comes to something like that, I really think it then doesn't it doesn't take long 
to be swallowed up by by the United States. So would, I would that I, be I, a bad I, thing, I Mark? Honestly, I'm like, not sure. I you know, the, I mean, the states have their own issues too. Obviously, not as as bad as Canada does. I, I don't believe, but this whole agenda that is destroying the nation state is i mean it's attacking all of us it's attacking the west and right now you have biden in america who's selling his country to the world health organization um they they inspired this coming from the american administration so you know it, it's not all roses over there in america things need to change there as well as they certainly do, do. In canada and throughout western civilization if we're ever going to save western civilization I have to say that out of all those perspectives, Mark Friesen's is the one that most closely mirrors my own. And with that, I offer the following warning and caution. The growing realization that freedom-loving people are a small minority of the population has driven many of those freedom-loving folks to seek refuge from the submissive majority by separating or segregating themselves from those who submit willingly to tyranny, or worse, force that tyranny upon them. I mean, it's a perfectly understandable impulse. <laughs> Get me away from those lefty wackos. Man, are they ever. But it's important to acknowledge that these efforts and projects have been in the works in some way long before the current political pandemic crisis, which itself is a symptom of a process that has been underway for many decades. During my entire lifetime in Canada, the threat of Quebec separation or of Western separation have been talking points as long as I remember. Shouldn't be surprising, when any two governments with similar powers share a common constituency, you've got to expect constant threats of divorce, not so unlike that experienced in many a marriage from time to time. And which often ends up as a successful divorce, if that's how one chooses to judge success. But here's the danger, and Mark Friesen hinted at it in his closing comments. A free state cannot long coexist next to a tyrannical state, let alone within one, as with the provinces and states within their republics or confederations. The larger or more dominant one will inevitably rule the smaller, as witness Hong Kong after the British abandoned it. It's like the law of political gravity, and it causes me to question the quote-unquote success of these political divorces or separations when it comes to the preservation of individual freedom. You can't win the freedom debate by constantly manipulating the numbers of pro- and anti-freedom folks as if they were a fixed quantity. Isn't that what Biden's been doing by letting a flood of refugees into the country? Isn't that the same strategy? So the other side can play it too. And the issue is not one we can ever run away from or escape. At some point in the future, the same problems being faced on the national and international levels will manifest themselves again at the provincial and state levels, or even on a municipal level if you take it down that far. Now, of course, I'm not presenting this as an either-or proposition. Every avenue of fighting for individual freedom should be pursued. But without the fundamentals firmly in place, in the hearts and minds of the citizens themselves, never mind the jurisdiction, freedom will remain forever elusive. And of course, that kind of discussion can only take place within an environment of free speech and of a free press. So here again are Robert and Derek to wrap up their conversation on that very theme. Uh, I think my final question to you, Derek, in Canada, the press 
are funded by the state. Believe it or not, back about four years ago, the Trudeau Liberals created a committee to dole out upwards of $300 million over three years to trusted media, which have to be vetted by this liberal-dominated committee to get funds. And so now you see the narrative, regardless of the issue, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's COVID, doesn't matter, immigration, the media are in absolute lockstep and fear for their own existence if they do not tow the liberal New Democrat narrative. Now, of course, in the United States, that's not the case necessarily, although the biggest advertiser of any media is usually the government. Big advertiser budgets in the press. Are you calling out journalists and the press in New Hampshire as much as you're calling out the politicians? Because in my estimation, they deserve as much criticism as the politicians who are telling them what to print and they dutifully print it. I would say that political journalism in New Hampshire is almost non-existent. I would say there are definitely political journals, but they aren't really taken too seriously. We actually have a couple uh, libertarian media organizations. We've got uh, what's called Granite Grok, and we have another one called the Liberty Block. And both of those news media organizations, they are the number one and the number two top uh, media organizations uh, for online views in New Hampshire. Is that G-R-O-K as in Robert A. Highland's Grok? Or, or yeah, yep. G-R-O-K, yep. Granite oh. Grok. The other media organizations here in New Hampshire, they do exist, but they're, they're not really taken too seriously, especially our biggest media, which, which is pretty much state-run media, WMUR, is the biggest televised uh, news network here in New Hampshire. And anytime they have any kind of political opinion, everyone kind of just shrugs it off as a joke. And, um, you know, we can try and fight them, but it's really just better to ignore them, uh, get rid of whatever power that they already have, and to give our attention and our support to the people who are fighting for journalistic openness and responsibility. I've enjoyed our talk, uh, Derek, and I hope we can do it again, especially if, if there's some sort of um, communication between the uh, New Brunswick Freedom Project and the Free State Project of New Hampshire. Um, hopefully, we can cross the borders freely or a little more freer in the near future, but I'm not counting on it, uh, at least from the Canadian side, but hopefully you guys can uh, come over here, and if you do, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to meet with you and shake your hand for the great success that you're having in New Hampshire. I appreciate our talk, um, Derek, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Robert. Thank you for having me on. I love the way that Derek Prue wrapped up the issue of journalistic integrity. Ignore the propaganda and pay attention to those fighting for journalistic integrity. Great advice, which is exactly the advice I'm asking you to follow by joining us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Ms. Sage, I'm with the government. We need your help. The government? Well... I certainly want to help the government. That's our government, isn't it? <laughs>